0: Welcome to the MDA Show. I'm your host, Mayor Sal Domingo, and joining me today is Lisa Jarvis. Alicia is a diversity, equity, and inclusion strategist in Toronto with focus on digital accessibility. In her own words, she is a solver of problems at the intersection where business goals, human needs, and technology meet. Welcome to the show, Alicia, and thank you for being here.
1: Thanks for having me.
0: It's a great topic, I think, that we are going to uncover today, and I'm really excited about uh, this particular topic because I'm also very passionate about accessibility. So a very you know, very much interested in, w- in what you're going to say today. So let's start with a bit of background. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how did you land in this accessibility space?
1: Sure. Uh, so currently, I'm the Senior Digital Accessibility Specialist at Scotiabank. And I kind of fell into this world of accessibility and inclusive design. I went to university for criminology, actually, after university, you know, getting that first job, uh, I, I struggled like, at, like almost any new grad, but uh, I landed a job at, at Bell Canada and it was an internship and it kind of opened my eyes to the world of accessibility. Now, being a person with a disability myself, uh, I'm a double arm amputee. I, I kind of knew about it in, in, in a way, um, but uh, it was more from my own experience. And um, so when the job came up at, at Bell Canada, it was really a way for me to pair Um, what I really loved about the law, and that's human rights, is I went into, I went into criminology, I went into um, the legal kind of realm with this idea to change the world. And I really um, wanted to do that in a way that made sense for me. And so landing um, in accessibility gave me that. It's that I, I paired my my passion and love for technology, um, with my passion and love for the law and human rights.
0: Right, and I think it brings an, a next level to accessibility rights and to the to what you know what we're advocating for with that life experience that we bring in, right? Because it's a little bit more personal, and we we have our own life experiences that we bring into the job as well. Um, what are the, some of the common issues that you see in organizations that come to you to solve?
1: Really, it's a it's a lack of awareness and understanding about what accessibility really is about. So often mm-hmm. organizations are coming at it from a legal or regulatory stance when really accessibility is about people and humans and the human experience and not just a check mark to take off in in terms of a legal kind of statement. And what, what I often see is that they, they really just don't understand the why behind accessibility. They've heard of this thing called accessibility and they know it's a legal kind of thing, but they don't really know the whole backstory of why they need to do this thing.
0: Right, so let's let's unpack that, shall we? If I remember correctly, I believe the accessibility laws for Ontario, anyway, was in two thousand and five, wasn't it? Where organizations, not just organizations, really, but everything almost around us, has to be accessible at a certain point. Can you tell us more a little about the the accessibility uh, laws in Ontario or the AODA for those who who's not familiar with the term?
1: Yeah, sure. Um... The AODA or AODA is the Accessibility for Ontarians with Disabilities Act, and it's actually not new. So, like you said, it's been it, it's been kind of around since 2005. Really, um, it, the first um, iteration of of it really coming into enforcement was 2008, and it was around the same time that I started um, at, at Bell and um, and I graduated in 2008 from university. Um, And so it's it's a law that really wants to eliminate barriers um, for Ontario. So it's the built environment, um, it's information and communications technology. It covers a bunch of different things um, that companies and people need to be aware of. Customer service is another one, but I think this Again, the spirit of the law was kind of lost in that people were thinking about it as, oh, I have, I have these dates that I have to comply by, and mm-hmm. all of this stuff. When really, the spirit of the law is is about removing barriers for people.
0: Right. Um, I always struggled with that as a champion. You know, when I come into a company and they say, oh, let's let's make let's make our organization to be compliant. And I think it's like, what are the check marks that we have to do for from this list of compliance? And then so I always go with we had to make an intentional commitment as to what really we're trying to do here instead of these check marks. Cause I think organizations come in and they say, Oh, let's be double A compliance. So there's the three levels of compliance, right? Like A, double AA, A, triple A. And then I think those are are given a certain date for Ontarians to to meet, Um, I can't even remember the dates that we have to meet them by, but um, like if you're a new organization or you're an organization who wants to do this with intent, where do you um, start them off as um, and and how do you bring that awareness and how do you make them see that it's not just regulation, but we really wanna tie in that human experience um, and make sure that we're including everybody in in this accessibility journey.
1: Well, I I tend to make it personal. Like I, I speak from my own experience. I make sure that they understand that I am not represented. Like I can't speak for the entire disability community and no one should. Um, mm-hmm. So that's step one is is getting is getting in the room, <laughs> really. Mm-hmm. And then once you're in the room, it's it's really guiding that conversation to get people to understand that they're talking this way in front of me, who's a person with a disability. So basically, what you're saying to me, when you say, hey, um, we have to do this, and we have to meet these legal obligations, what it's saying to me is that you don't see me as your customer. Um, You don't see me as your employee. Um, You see me still as Let's, let's be real here, the civil rights movement in 1960s when people were knocking on doors trying to get service, right? Um, mm-hmm. To me, it's the same thing. And it's, it's getting them to realize that, is that what, like how you speaking this way, how does it make the people in your organization feel Like, you don't Mm -hmm. know if someone has a disability or not. Um, Not all disabilities are visible. Mm -hmm. So, um, by only talking about legal and compliance, you're shutting a lot of people who would normally be passionate about this and want to help you out of the conversation.
0: What about the barriers then? You know, again, I've come across this as an accessibility champion. It's like, well, we don't really want to do that now. You know, I don't think we have that. How do you overcome those?
1: Um, really by giving them examples, the, the, the example that I like to use a lot is, is the curb cut example and also the accessible button example. So, um, I, I did a presentation once where I put up a picture of the accessible button, um, to a group of people and I said, how many people have never used this button ever in our lives? And no one put up their hand because everybody uses the button because you're carrying boxes or mm-hmm. you don't feel like opening a door or whatever the case may be. You just went to Starbucks and you and you grabbed a bunch of coffee for your colleagues and and your, your hands are full. Um, and so I tie that back to what with what they're saying is that um, you're telling me that you don't wanna do something that's gonna benefit everybody. Like a ramp doesn't just benefit people with disabilities. It like, I mean, who, does, who doesn't wanna go upstairs? Like I, I sometimes don't wanna walk upstairs. Like that doesn't, you know, um, it, a ramp can be convenient. Um, but I will say that uh, it's also about reading the room because um something my grandfather told me um and by the way he was um a he went to AA for 50 years so he's a recovering alcoholic for for 50 years and he said to me that um the first step is one acknowledging you have a problem and two you can't help someone who does not want to help themselves
0: oh absolutely if you don't want to be helped, I, I you know, I, I can't really help you. I can tell you all these things that I think you should do, but if you're not willing to, to get help or, or you're not even willing to change that, right, then, then I, I, I can't help you. Moving on to digital then, are you finding a lot more challenges with that? You know, I'll give you an example. I was asked because I said, you know, if we're committing to A standards, we need to have a Braille alternate for a lot of our reading materials. I said, now we don't have to publish them and print them and put them on the shelf. However, if somebody asks for them, the least we could do is make sure that we have it on file to say, okay, let's print in Braille and send this material. Are the challenges much difficult for digital accessibility than it is for things like ramps and buttons and washroom accessibility, like accessible washrooms?
1: So I, w- I would say that the digital space can open doors for people. So if you can get your digital experience right, then it can be um, a supplement to your overall accessibility objectives. So um, I, I actually do want to comment on, on your Braille example um, mm-hmm. because I think that was really interesting because braille documents are big. They are they are ginormous. So I did some research uh, in a previous role and we looked at, at braille and large print statements and we found that they're cumbersome. They're, where where would someone store their braille, uh, bank statement, for example, in their house? If you have bank statements every month coming in and all all of them need to be produced in Braille, where do you store them? I don't know. Um, So having digital documents that are accessible in a way that someone can access them through their online banking, and then they open up the document and they can read the document with a screen reader or a Braille display, um, is a lot better experience than Mm -hmm. trying to um keep these large documents at your house uh, so oh, i agree so um and and also for for companies that are thinking about okay we have to pr- like print these in in braille or large print and then we have to kind of store them it's it's more about the process about how you're producing documents to begin with because I wouldn't say you have to store them, but I also don't necessarily buy into the upon request because again, Hmm. from a client or customer service perspective, if someone's blind, their site isn't gonna come back. So why every time they need a document from you, they need to raise their hand and say, hey, I need this particular document in braille. Like there should be a flag on their file or something they they
0: don't always have to request. Yeah, no, I agree completely. You know, so what are your thoughts on some of that stuff and, and making things more available and, and making things, and I know we've talked about how storage and in this partic- and, 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 and this, and the example that you had with statements about storing that stuff in digital world, what other things could we have readily available to our customers, I guess, in my question? Or should we have them, Available as an option for them to select for themselves as an option for an alternative.
1: So I'm going to touch on a couple of things that that you mentioned is Mm -hmm. that again, it's about thinking about people with disabilities as your customers. So we as a as a business person, you don't go around saying, well, we don't we don't have customers right now, so I'm not going to build my business right Mm -hmm. we you you build a business because you have an idea and then you attract more customers and you figure out ways to attract more customers um so that's how we have to see it when it comes to accessibility it's you don't wait for the blind student to walk in the door you want to attract that blind student Mm -hmm. to your school you want to be like we are the top school Um, For you, and we want you to come to our school and the way to do that is not necessarily having things in storage or not it's do we have the processes in place to attract that student so is our processes for creating documents and things in a way that will show a prospective student or a prospective client that we actually know something about them. Right? right. So it's in your marketing, in your communications, in all of these things, are you are you doing things in a way that that shows meaningful things? Like all all of your digital documents, are they accessible? no matter if you're, being, or if you're sending them to a disability organization or you're sending them to someone else, are you making them all accessible? Because if they are, then someone who's using a screen reader will pick up on that because they open that document and it's gonna be accessible to them. So it it's it's about attracting customers and attracting employees to your business.
0: I really like that. I think that's that's the a better way of approaching, you know, why you need to be more accessible and be really accessible for people to attract those potential customers because you're right. You you're losing money, you're losing business by excluding not just people with disabilities but but other people too if you're if you're focusing on one particular market that you want to you, know, you want to get business from. It's a potential for I mean, it's not just potential. It's lost business and lost money. From your experience, are there common themes that could have been avoided had they invited someone like you at the table during the design phase? And what are some of those examples?
1: Yeah, I think I think having a universal design or inclusive design approach and mentality uh, it is the first kind of major theme. Is that taking it from a compliance-driven conversation and into a human-centered design conversation. I'm really lucky now that uh, both at my previous role in RBC and at Scotia now, the the accessibility team in Scotia sits within a design community of practice. And I think that's exactly where it, it needs to be because you really have to come at it from, from a human-centered design approach. It's It's not about meeting compliance or legislation. It's more about how do we develop something or design something to account for the whole human experience. And that's, and disability is just one piece of that.
0: We were talking about on the side about the post, I guess, of realizing that you need to be compliant. You need to have accessibility in your office buildings. Just talking from, you know, general um, accessibility in buildings. What are some of the challenges, or I guess, what are some of the things that you've kind of seen that a nice attempt, but a fail and wish that people would would consider as they're going on this journey of accessibility?
1: Yeah, sure. So um, in, in a previous role, um, there was a, a situation where um, uh, in the middle of the floor in a building was the washroom and only one door that opened the washroom had an accessible button on it. So the other side of the washroom did not, which um you could, uh, anybody could open, could enter the washroom from either door, but a person who was using a wheelchair, he had to go all the way around to the other side of the floor to get into the washroom. So basically he had to basically say, hey, everyone, I'm going to the washroom, Um, (laughs) right? Um, And so it met building code, but the dignity piece was missing because, and I went for anybody that needed to use that door, like a pregnant woman or anybody, they would have to literally walk the entire floor and then essentially, Announced that they're going to the washroom. Um, and it was just a giant fail because, it, again, it was about them thinking of the letter of the law instead of thinking about, well, they put two doors on the washroom for a reason so you could enter the washroom by whatever side of the floor you're on um, to make it convenient. So why wouldn't you put the accessible button on both doors as well? I don't understand.
0: <laughs> right, I like, I like how you brought up the dignity factor, because I think that's sometimes missing a lot in these conversations is about thinking about the person's, you know, really placing yourself as to what that person would feel like if you had to go through that yourself, right? So to your point about announcing to the whole floor that, hey, I'm going to the bathroom, you know, because I'm going <laughs> through these doors. And so if you put, you know, if, if you're if you're able-bodied and you put yourself in that, like how do you think you would feel if you had to do that, right? The same thing when you're trying to open a door, this, this is one of those things that bug me. When those automatic doors are sometimes not a, easily accessible, but they think it's accessible because there's a button there. Or those automatic ones where, you know, you walk up to it and it automatically opens. But if you're a person in a wheelchair, you may not be meeting that height as to, you know what I mean? And now you're stuck there sitting there and these doors aren't opening for you, right? So can you, like, I think if people just put themselves in that situation where it's like, I am this height on a wheelchair, those sensors are not gonna recognize me. And they'll say, well, you know, a child can go in and out of the, the door if we put the sensors that low. But then if you think about it, but the person now that's stuck in front of a door in a wheelchair, just imagine how they're feeling. So I think it's important to have that conversation or to put the dignity in the conversation to say, you know, you're, you're taking away someone's basically invalidating what, they're, what they would feel if they were ever put in that situation. Have you ever found yourself explaining that portion to uh, a conversation accessibility in an organization?
1: Absolutely. I mean, I, I've had those conversations ever since I was a young child. Um, so I, I'm an '80s, '90s kid, and um, um, I remember in in growing up, um, like I I have a, a permanently dislocated left knee, so I had um, a leg brace growing up, and they would give me like keys to the service elevator for example or like say yeah the elevator is at the back of the building where the garbage is like i mean really like <laughs> like like what is that saying to the person you're just a piece of garbage that's what that's saying um and and for you not to think about it that way for 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 someone not to think about it that way is Um, It's just ridiculous because if they just stopped and thought about it instead of being again about the letter of the law and yeah we have an elevator, but is that the elevator that you're using is that the service elevator is that the same elevator that you're you're bringing the garbage up and down like like to have that forethought that it's human beings that we're talking about that need these services.
0: Mm. since you brought up the the 80s 90s decades do you see a lot of a lot of movement in terms of accessibility even with the 2005 law coming down cuz i'm having a challenge to seeing a lot of progress um i think we are still faced a lot with questions as to why we're doing it and and i think if i'm not mistaken aoda just adjusted its time frame again and you can correct me if I'm wrong on that and maybe shed some light on that, as to when Ontario is a province and maybe even Canada, and, you know, speaking from the Canadian uh, overall umbrella of accessibility, adjusted again to give more time for, other, for organizations to, to have accessibility be almost like second nature to them or, or meeting all these accessibility guidelines.
1: I think we still have a long way to go, uh, especially in Canada, but we can't forget about the movement that has happened. And I do want to acknowledge um, the United States is that um, the ADA um, is 30 years old and I did watch Crip Camp uh, uh, a number of times and, and that's really I think what Canada is missing is we like the Accessible Canada Act passed in in 2019, but we're not seeing any movement on it um, and and or anything and I think if we keep waiting for the law to tell us that we are people and we we deserve to be treated like customers, I don't think will get anywhere. I think people with disabilities need to rise up as a community, especially in Canada, and make it known and make it loud that we are here and we're not going anywhere. Because I'm tired of waiting. um, To be frank and honest, is I've been doing this accessibility stuff professionally for a long time. And Personally, all my life, really, um, from
2: mm-hmm.
1: advocating for myself to to even to be able to go to school, um, to be in inter- in an integrated classroom, all of these things, I think I think we've we've come a long way, and there has been a lot of movement, but it hasn't come fast enough, um, especially in Canada. With our partners in the US that have had the accessible, the ADA for 30 years, come on, really? It, like, I don't wanna wait another 30 years for Canada. Like mm-hmm. I really don't.
0: Right, no, I agree with you. Let's talk about accessibility issues in Ontario in general. From what, you know, from what you've seen in the tech space or even in workplaces in general, where else are we coming up short really as a province and as a country for addressing accessibility?
1: Wow, that's a, that's a big question. Um, I, I would say, um, I would say the built environment and just, just getting around, um, you know, people have called out transportation and, and, and stuff like that, but I mean, just accessible cities, like just walking down, down the street, there's, um, uneven sidewalks sidewalks that have things on them um, just getting around Toronto is like not a good experience for even an able-bodied person so um, um, let I'll alone agree with having you on that. a disability and especially in winter time like I mean you know things aren't shoveled and and getting around the city is 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 hard so I think I think there's a lot that we can be doing better, and not just in the digital space, but in our in our built environments, in our city, and the way we the way we treat people um, in general, not just like not just direct customer service, but as as a community, as a society of, of speaking up and and making our voices heard when you see something that you know or experience something that isn't right, or it doesn't feel good, um, you know, making that
0: known that it's a problem. No, absolutely. Do you think, I guess, just the levels of government, as far as, you know, getting accessibility, so, and maybe you can shed light on this. So, from like a snow plowing, all of that level, that would be your municipal level, right? Yeah. And then, and are there are there touch points on that level where things could get improved? Like, ramps on the sidewalks i i I love it air quotes when they say oh no no that sidewalk is accessible meanwhile the ramp is like really steep and then of course you know you can't (laughs) if you're using a wheelchair a manual one at that if you're trying to go up it you're either going to fall backwards because it's meant too high but it met compliance because there's a ramp there so that's going to be at the city level of government correct and then so then where does the mp comes in like from a like a provincial level
1: so provincial guidance on things like like you have the ontario building code and and things like that so it ontario can provide guidance to municipalities but it's really a, it's really municipalities that are are doing doing the enforcement for a lot of things and doing, doing the things. Um, Mm -hmm. But um, I I do want to mention that I did travel, of course, pre-COVID to Vienna, Austria, and I had a really good experience. It's the most accessible city that I've ever experienced where everything was kind of connected in a way that like they... Their their city planning, um, is all the bike trails actually connected with one another. So, like from a wheelchair perspective, it also connected all uh, with one another, right? Um, so that you weren't you didn't have to go out of your way to um reconnect to the next street or the next sidewalk um, or cross the street or whatever, is that they actually designed the city to be bike and, and, uh, walking to basically account for bikers and and pedestrians Mm -hmm. the same way it would account for cars and, and vehicles that you want to have it easy to go through the city. And I think that's where, um, municipalities can, or the Ontario government can provide guidance to municipalities on what those best practices are. Because I mean, um, there are probably cities and towns that do it better than others. And Mm -hmm. there's a lot of key learnings that we can share across uh, municipalities if they would talk to each other.
0: Right, no, I agree completely. But I'm quite surprised about Vienna being an accessible city. I was uh, it actually took me about because I went to Vienna oh, 10 years ago, where I felt everything was cobblestone streets and it was hard to walk on. And I was like, oh, I can't walk on this because you know it's cobblestone streets. But that's really good, and that means, you know, the government is committed with intentional changes to make sure that they become an accessible city. So I think that's the key. So if you if you're thinking about, you know, me going to Vienna 10, 15 years ago and you going before COVID or like, you know, just the time before COVID, the difference is that the years made, because they made an intentional attempt at making their city accessible, that 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 the time that that lapsed time has made they're actually a model city, if you will, that they have become this accessible. So it can be done you know, over time, right? And the changes yeah, I- can be made over time.
1: And, and I'll put a caveat in there. Like when when I went to when I went to Vienna, um, um, I didn't see much of the city. So that like I mean I mean part of the city probably um, could have still been cobblestone streets, um, but they at least uh, like you said like it was it was evident that they at least made an effort mm-hmm. um, to. Uh, make their city more accessible, and I was there for the International AIDS Conference, um, and so to have to have that done um, for the AIDS Conference was it—it um, it was kind of awesome because it just it just spoke to how they um, were preparing uh, for um, a large. Event like that with people with different um, abilities and disabilities um, mm-hmm. because um, HIV, uh, you know, it, it it has a lot of effects on the body. So, mm-hmm. um, and and they really made a conscious effort to make sure their city and and where the the at least the areas where the AIDS conference were um, was accessible in in the best way.
0: No, I think that's really good. So just picking up on that, for organizations that have not yet started on making an exclusive or accessible space, what would your advice be for them?
1: Um, so my advice would be to start. So there's a lot of best practices out there. There's a lot of resources um, that, that you can um, access. And, and I think just having an open mind about this stuff and and doing the work, really, is that um and involving people like um into your processes, into your into your company, um, if you don't know, ask is mm-hmm. the mantra that I, I go by is that there's nothing wrong with asking a question. Um but there is something wrong with assuming things about people and that's either good or bad right is Mm -hmm. that is that um people with disabilities are often seen as inspirations and things like that Um, so it's not just all the bad stuff it's it's making sure that you're not making assumptions about people and that you're recognizing that you don't know and that you need to do the work to find out
0: Right. No, I think that's really important. I, l- I like that. I always say, you know, when people come up to me as an AP, me being an APT, of course, when people say, you know, can I ask? And I say, of course you can. You know, like, I think I use that now. My attitude about it now is use it as an opportunity to bring education and information and bring awareness instead of, you know, them assuming of what I can and cannot do. So I've, I've kind of flipped the conversation that way in like, no, it's okay to ask. Um, And and for me, again, the mindset is to bring awareness and bring my advocacy in it and also bring the information and and educate the person instead of putting up a wall and saying, don't ask me, you know, kind of thing. Right. So.
1: Absolutely. Um, And uh, especially of parents with with young kids, um, I get this a lot as as a visible amputee um, is that Kids will, will ask me a question or there's, or there's they'll stare and, and parents will, will try to stop them. Um, and I encourage parents not to stop them is that it's more important that they, they ask the question. Because, again, if you put yourself in the other person's shoes, um, a lot of times, especially kids, they've never seen someone like me before. Mm-hmm. So, um, if I think about it from my own perspective, if I saw something that I've never seen before, then I would be curious too. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and, um, if I didn't know how to ask the question, yeah, like a human response is to stare That's
2: mm-hmm.
1: whether we consciously do it or not, it's, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. So if we can if we can encourage people to ask if they don't know, there's nothing wrong with a question. Now, if I have the spoons and the energy to answer it at a particular time, that's a different story. Um, mm-hmm. But I don't think there's anything ever wrong with asking a question.
0: No, oh, I like that. Um, so just before we finish up here, um, where would you like to see Canada or Ontario or Canada in the next five to 10 years when it comes through following through the accessibilities and really the guidelines or, or enforcing a lot of these rules to make a, you know, a model city for accessibility?
1: I would like to see um, Canadians really step up beyond beyond the law and, and realize that everyone will have a disability in their lifetime at some point whether you've broken your leg because um you were playing soccer <laughs> or you have a person permanent disability like me that's never going to go away or um like the situation that we're all in right now where it's we're all kind of under a situational disability if you think about it is that are um we're being restricted um in what we can do because we're living in a pandemic and but that's gonna go away and that's okay but recognizing that it's not for some people some people are thriving in this new new world new environment Mm -hmm. you know people even including myself, I have time to work out. I have time to eat better. I have time to, to do things that I want to do. Um, but there are people who, who are struggling. And, mm-hmm. um, and I think what we need to realize is that disability is just part of the human condition and that there are good things about it. There are bad things about it. Um, but we shouldn't dwell on either is, and just accept it as a human experience.
0: Oh, I really like that. That's very smart. I love that. Is there anything that you'd like our listeners to walk away with today in terms of advocating for accessibility, not only in their workplace, but in their community?
1: Absolutely. Um, speak up and, and listen, um, not only, One thing that I've learned, um, especially after the year of 2020, is that I think as a society we have to do more listening than we do talking. And listen to the experiences of people with disabilities, watch some videos, um, educate yourself, and then share those with your friends. And even if it's just one person, um, continue to share, continue to educate each other. And continue to speak up when you see something that isn't right.
0: No, oh, that's great. And lastly, where can people find more information about you and your work and in this space, and how can they get a hold of you?
1: Uh, you can find me on um, Instagram, uh, Twitter at a 11 yalisha um, That's Ali Alicia, and um, you can also find me on LinkedIn.
0: Perfect. Thank you for shedding some light on the issues of accessibility in Ontario and generally in Canada. We all know there are lots that we can do to be more inclusive and create accessible spaces. I want to thank Alicia Jarvis for joining me today. I will share all the links on my website at www.aristaldomingo.com. Thank you for tuning in. If you have any comments, questions, or show ideas, please connect with me on Facebook and Instagram at The MTO Show. Until next time, I'm yours, Aristald Domingo, and this has been The MTO Show Podcast.